Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Performing Musicians podcast. Um, today, I'm having a chat to um, beatboxer, singer, songwriter, loop, looping artist, Ed Geeter. How are you, Ed? I'm really good, thanks. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing? Thank you for uh, joining us on the pod. Um, first of all, to kick, it off, kick us off, can you tell us about yourself? What do you do and how long have you been doing it? Well, I mean, if we, I've been I've been a musician since I was very very young, but this this my identity as a musician now I've been sort of doing for the last decade, on and off performing live, and producing and recording, um, <clears throat> but really I'm a, a solo artist, um, singer songwriter, acoustic guitarist, um, but I, I I use loop pedal as you've already mentioned um, and a bunch of effects. Um, and make life too difficult for myself generally <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and try and just create multi-layered tracks um, to kind of put a fresh angle on, on, on the singer-songwriter thing really. So I use beatboxing and, um, and, and make quite beat-heavy tracks um, and I just, I, just, yeah, I, just, I just want to have fun really and just put my sort of love and passion into it and, and write kind of thought-provoking stuff really, drawing from lots of different styles. Nice. Uh, where, where are you from originally? So I'm from Birmingham. Birmingham? Uh, in the UK, yep. I don't have much of an accent. It's there in little bits, but, you know, very hard to detect, <laughs> which That's is good. either good or bad, depending on how you speak to. Have, have you lived around London for a long time? Because you don't really have the accent. Is it, is it, is it something you've, you've consciously shaken? or? Not really. Like, so, well, I've lived in London for, how long have I been in London for now? It's nearly four years. Um, and... Before that, I mean, I obviously grew up in Birmingham. I did, I did go to uni. I did a music degree in, in Leeds, um, and I think that probably eliminated whatever brumminess was there because <laughs> I was hanging around people from the south. But I, even at school, I mean, my mum's quite. My mum and dad both well spoken, and and I kind of grew up not being brummy, and I got called posh boy at school and everything <laughs> like the school that i went to i went to a comprehensive school in uh, i don't know if you know the black country in uh, oh, only only by reputation mate sure so like hail zone um which is a different accent i don't know if you've ever heard of the yam yam accent people say, say out yam yams because they say instead of saying how are you they say how am ya how am you really? mate yeah you're, you're all right mate how am ya? that's literally how they speak which is it's a very interesting accent um so but yeah, I don't know, I don't know really. Uh, I just, it's, yeah, very, I've just got a very neutral accent. I just sound like I'm from neutral town, wherever that is. <laughs> any, any town, UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny because in Australia, we basically got two accents, I think, the country and the city. 
Sure. Or if you want to be controversial, Bogan. Yeah, the uh, Bogans. Yeah. Well, Bogan. I mean, that's it's kind of a country accent, I guess. Right. It's it's, it's not as well defined as the English accents. There's no such thing as a yam. <laughs> I mean, you've got like a North Queensland accent, which is like the proper bush. Right. And then you've got like the country people in country Victoria, which is a bit more bit more colloquial and then basically everyone in the city sounds the same and where 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 do you fit in where are you actually from i'm from the north mate i'm i'm proper uncultured right okay (laughs) from the from uh from proper proper um uh mongrel stock Uh, grew up in the bush Uh, went to all the worst schools well my my, my girlfriend's actually from sydney so was she called you yeah, yeah. Would she call you a bogan? Is that is that where you are? Probably, probably. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely went to the right bogan. high schools to be called a bogan. <laughs> Listened to lots of um, Akadaka when I was a kid. A- ACDC, mate. Uh, Akadaka, nice. Akadaka, mate. I like um, it. So, what would you say? Getting back to you, what would you say is your um, your biggest influence in the music that you create? So I, I, I really hate that question. I, I hate Excellent. it. I don't Excellent. hate many things. Um, that is a question I thoroughly hate with every inch of my being. Good. Um, because. Now you're going to tell I us why, know. hopefully. Yeah. Well, I, I never like to be confined by genre. I, you know, when someone says like, what kind of music do you listen to? I, I feel like everyone answers when someone says, what kind of music do you like? Everyone goes, a bit of, every, you know, a bit of everything, really. Um, I just listen to a bit of that, a bit of this and. And that's, and that's it. And I kind of feel like I'm like that. I have a very eclectic taste and I kind of want to weave it all into what I do and make it me by it being me, you know, the characteristics that make me in terms of the, the choice of instruments that I use and using the beatboxing and singing with my kind of slightly soulful style uh, that makes me me. So, but yeah, I'm, I, I, I was originally a classical musician. Um, when I was very young, I played violin at, uh, from the age of nine and piano piano as well so my style is quite influenced by i suppose that sort of regimented style of 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 learning a part and perfecting it and thinking about technique very very carefully you know yeah. so i'm more of a I'm more of that kind of musician than i am like a jam improv player um a bit more meticulous but, yeah yeah and then as well as that, I love electronic music of all different kind of styles, you know, ambient or EDM or drum and bass, house, all kinds of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> you can't really put me into a, into a style or a genre, I suppose, very easily, which you could look at as either a really good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're trying to do. If you want to try and advertise me. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's that's people want to pigeonhole you don't they they want to they do. want to put you in a fucking box sorry am i allowed to swear you can say it's whatever you like mate yeah it's amazing we're we not live on air no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no yeah um yeah people want to people want to put you in a box right they want to say he sounds like this mixed yep. with that and um yeah i don't want to i don't want to be like that I, lo- I love sounding like different things from song to song and I, and I think it's quite cool. I actually think it's changing. I think, you know, genres are dying in a sense. You know, everyone's drawing from everything. Think about like Billie Eilish, who's the most recent wildly successful musician I can think of whose album just sounded like a bunch of different genres, you know. Yeah, I think Billie Eilish is a really good example, actually. I, I think the attention to detail, I think, is coming back again. There was yep. a period in 
well, quote unquote, popular music where as long as you had, you know, if you looked the right way and you had the right size boobs, you were, uh, <laughs> and you, you know, you, you wear the right clothes, you, you could probably be packaged in a way that would yep. be uh, saleable. I think that's kind of gone away with sort of the death of the monopoly of record companies. I think you're right. So yeah, I think the, the people are starting to appreciate attention to detail again. Yeah, it's changing. I, th- I think you're right. And, and you know, all for the better, in, in my opinion. It's well, I, th- I think so. I mean, great. also, also, you know, the, you know, the album's kind of gone away as a thing as well. So it's very hard to get people to sit down and listen to more than the, the chorus of a song. So it's, you know, it's, it swings and roundabouts, I guess. You're right. Yeah. And that is a bit of a shame because I personally love the album and you know the telling a story with 12 tracks or whatever and kind of making it flow and looking at it as one piece of art um i love that and and it does feel like streaming is kind of killing that i don't think it's dead i think it's still around but it's definitely less and less the way people consume their music now absolutely um and i think you get another thing that streaming maybe as much as i actually love the ease of access with streaming and i think it brings a lot of great things it's it does create i think it creates a more passive listener as well so i think it's very very easy to just stick your weekly recommended playlist on or or any playlist for that matter that someone's created and just go oh, i like that i'll heart that i'll like that add it to my library and then never really actually know who the artist is. and i'm guilty of this like i do this so i know whether people have done it listening to my so it's like it's Absolutely. very very easy to do you just you listen to the track a few times and you never actually research the musician or think, oh, I'll go and go see him live unless you absolutely love it. So I guess it's harder. You've got to try and impress people, really, really impress people so that you stand out amongst the, the crowd. Well, I guess it's, I mean, if you look back at sort of the history of popular music in sort of the fifties and the sixties, it was all about the singles, wasn't it? So if you, you know, people would release five or six singles on actual like vinyl singles. Mm. And, you know, people, artists would tour off the back of like one song. And, you know, <laughs> that was the one thing that they were known for. They play a bunch of other stuff. You know, all the, all the touring bands in the South of America and places like that, it was all about singles. And then sort of as the 70s and the 80s came in, it became more about albums. Bands like Led yep. Zeppelin and, and things like that really made albums, you know, the Beatles, the White Album and stuff made it more into an art form. So it sort of, it seems like it's going back to that sort of, Short attention span, hit, hit, hit. You got to have the hits all the time. Yeah, and you see more and more artists now, even staying away from EPs and just putting singles out. Singles out, yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? Who can say? It's not good for me, but it might be good for other people. I guess it's just different, isn't it? And yeah, what? Well, yeah, like nail on the head. It's going to be great for some people, and it's other people who love the album and get attached to that concept of concept of consuming music by buying an album and then everything changes and it's part of their identity and they're like, I hate the way the music industry is now. Not like it was. And it's yeah. very easy to get caught up in that mindset of thinking like, well, probably, you know, put the rose-tinted glasses on and think that it used to be so great when actually there's a whole load of negatives about how the industry worked back then that you're completely forgetting and Oh yeah, not focusing on you know. There, so. There's a reason the record the record companies are basically dying is because they were fucking assholes. 
Anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty before much, get, yeah. They just, they there, just rinsed every musician oh, for what yeah. they were worth, right? You used to have to buy a CD for 30, $30 in Australia, which would be like 18 pounds or something. Wow, and that's the, pricey. Yeah. And, you know, the art, I mean, to be, to be fair, though, Spotify playlists now, you get like 0.00000 of one cent or one P yeah, for one play. So it's someone yeah. screwing you no matter what happens, basically. Pretty much. So just um, before we get into the current situation, can you sort of tell me what first inspired you to become a musician? What Do you remember like the, like in, was it a single thing or was it like osmosis? What sort of kicked you down the path? It's actually quite a cute story. It was my mum. So my mum was playing piano. She used to play piano when I was very young and she'd play kind of just uh, lots of kind of ragtime stuff and swing stuff. And I used to just absolutely love it as a kid. Um, I'd just ask her to play to me all the time. I think my mum could really tell at that point that she like, you know, she knew I was musical and really got a kick from it. So I think she really encouraged it from, from that point on. And, but yeah, I think what really, that's, that's one thing. I think that's the first thing, but another key one that's worth noting, I think is, um, cause obviously my, my instrument now is guitar and I started off as a classical musician. I think when I was say 13, 14, and I really started getting into kind of the kind of alt rock craze of that time. Back in the day when like new metal was charting and all that stuff. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I remember very well. It was number one and stuff. I went to see, I went to see Korn in 1997, oh, maybe 98. Do you know what? Freak on a leash is still, so every time I hear it, I'm like, what? That's such a fucking tune. At the Adidas, the Adidas tour they were on. That was like oh, their, really? their second album or first album, maybe. Uh, was that before? It was pre pre Freak on Leash then, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's early. That's real early. I um, I was actually a Blind. bass player and a bass player in a new metal band. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Wow. It was awesome. Amazing. Yeah, but that was so much fun. So much fun. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that was that was what inspired me to pick up guitar. And that's a long time. I was electric guitar. Obviously, I started on electric guitar. Played in a played in a band with my mates. Got really into that whole kind of like funk rock sort of world. We loved Incubus. We loved Chili. I was going to say Incubus, Science. Yeah, Science. One of my faves. You know, awesome um, album. Awesome. And it's album. funny. Like I don't really. Yeah, it's a great album, isn't it? And I don't. It's funny. My listening time isn't really taken up by um, alt alternative rock much these days it does every now and then when i kind of feel like i want to go down, trip down memory lane but my tastes are very different now but it's interesting because that kind of identity is still there and it's still quite a big part of what i write um and it's you know it's, it is essentially what kind of was the the you know how my love for guitar was was born um so yeah it's super important that's awesome and so you said you went to college for music as like a classical musician did you was that in high school or was that college so I did, I did it at college. Um, I did A-level music and then I went to uni in Leeds and did, um, I actually, so this is when it was, I actually started on the classical music course to do violin performance because I'd just got my grade eight and I kind of thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um, found out I just didn't really take to it. And yeah, I just, I'd kind of fall, I'd not fallen out of love with the violin, but I'd got so into guitar and that guitar was like my main passion that, it just wasn't really working for me. And then I realized I could switch to, they had another course called popular and world music, which was amazing. And I've always loved creating and writing um, and decided instead of majoring in performance, I'd, I'd wanted to major in composition. 
um, which was an amazing journey, to be honest. It taught me so much. The the brief in like the final year was to just write six um, pieces of music that pushed the boundaries of composition. So it was like, sweet, you know, you've got just like an absolute free reign to just go and do whatever the hell you want and fusion. And, That's you know, amazing. so I, put, I did like an orchestral piece for as like kind of film music i did um i did one where i tried, like combined dubstep with like violin sort of string quartet <laughs> which was quite interesting and what else did i do i did a bunch i did one that was really out there and experimental where i kind of like used serialism to try and make some sort of weird choral piece i thought that one was just like me messing around i thought it was the worst one and that was the one that got the best mark <laughs> it was like I was so proud of all my other ones. It was like, yeah, two one for that, and then the one that I thought was a bit of a joke. He's like, oh, it's amazing. I'll give it a first. I was like, wow, okay, cool. That's wicked. Um, but yeah, it was a wicked experience, and I learned a lot about recording music and producing music at that time. Um, and that started, you know, I didn't get taught much about music production on that course itself. It was a lot more scholarly and a lot more history of popular music and stuff. But so does that does I, that mean you're one of the rare guitarists that can actually read the notes? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> funnily enough though whenever, whenever it's a piece of guitar music i, I can't translate it to the fretboard because yeah, i never learn how actual, to. when the chords are written exactly yeah i can't so i can't i can sight read i'm not a good sight reader but i can sight read to an extent violin and piano you know i can yeah. look and work out where the notes are as soon as it's guitar because i just guitar was my sort of opportunities to get away from that classical regimented uh, way of learning isn't that I interesting just everything by ear and taught myself chords from tab um and so i could yeah it's you know if you showed me some guitar chords on a piece on on you know traditional music notation i, I wouldn't be able to play it isn't that fascinating yeah it's, it's funny so it's like it? it's like guitars like your holiday instrument <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah yeah pretty much that's so amazing yeah wow, and it's always been the one that i've just found it so easy to just you know pick up and pick up and play and learn by ear with and um and i just got i got quite obsessive with it so that's, that's another thing about me I'm, I'm to do what i do i think you have to be an obsessive person well maybe, maybe all musicians to an extent you know we, we kind of have to obsess over if we're playing an instrument you know we've got to get good right and to get good you've got to put the hours in but i got super obsessed with um do you know that wave of players a lot of them signed to um a and, label you get, Cam, candy rap are you gonna say andy mckee yeah, yeah. So Andy McKee and another guy called Antoine Dufour. Is he the one that wears the hats all the time? The guy who wears the hats. Oh, um, I know there's one on Candy Rat that always has like, he always kind of looks like he's from Mortal Kombat. He wears like yeah, a Yeah, that mask guy. What's his name? His, what is his name? He's hilarious, to be fair. So he always does his really quirky arrangements. He's, he's awesome. He's obviously not taking himself seriously at all. But, he's but also, tough. he's a monster. Yeah, they all are, those guys. Like, oh, man. Can I, I wish I could kind of, I mean, you know, I've learned a few of their, their trap uh, pieces, but it's just not, you know, to get close to that level of like technique and perfection in the way that they, they put it together and play it. It's just, they're amazing. Those guys. Out, outside of that American school, I think a lot of the guys from like this side of the world come to that stuff later. Like, I mean, like another one that's doing great things with that is like John Gomm. I was going to mention John Gomm. Yeah, I've, I've he's, seen him play a couple of times and, and met him a couple of times. He's he's ridiculous. He's unbelievable. He's so good. It's just he's just crazy. <laughs> he's another one of those guys that sort of came to the acoustic thing after doing electric first. Whereas I think yeah. a lot of the American school comes from more of that 
that real sort of acoustic traditional music. Like I know, yeah, I know yeah, the keys is- and those guys because I was fascinated by that when it all started kicking off. It was just so inspiring to see people doing that stuff. Yeah, and it, and it, you know, the kind of those, that was kind of around the earlier days of YouTube as well, wasn't it? And I think YouTube really, really helped artists like that. You know, absolutely. Back before it was just a, an o- a bottomless ocean of just content. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a massive fan of that stuff, man. And so, when you first, obviously, you 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 said your family is is sort of into music so when you decided to go down the path of being a creative person were they supportive yeah yeah my mum has always been supportive and if anything kind of wants me to because my mum um sings opera and she never really gave it a a good go when she was younger because she didn't believe in herself it's the classic story really isn't it um so she's kind of always pushed me she said you know if you if you think you've got something and you love it and do it because you don't want to do what I did, which is kind of wonder what if. Um, so that's always inspired me a lot. And um, yeah, always been supportive. My dad was super supportive, sadly passed away um, at the start of this year. My dad did. Oh, condolences. After, um, thanks. I mean, after a long struggle with um, Louis body dementia, Alzheimer's uh, diagnosis Alzheimer's it kind of progressed it it was worse um but he was you know um he he loved coming to my gigs when I played in the band when I was younger and and obviously you know now it's when I when I went solo as well and always it was it's it's always it's, yeah it's felt good to be supported because I know a lot of families aren't like that right they want no. their they want their kid to go into a more financially uh are you a doctor yet so when you uh when you finished at university in leeds and you sort of found like a home on the guitar can you sort of talk us through where you went from there well it it's, it took me a long time so it was while i was at uni that i was getting obsessed with the finger stuff and i had all the time to really put the hours in and try and learn these techniques and I'm quite an introverted musician. I'd always kind of sit on my own and try and work things out on my own. Um, I, I seem to work best on my own. I think that's why I'm a solo artist as well. Like, it's just the way I am. And um, yeah, like after after uni, I went back to Birmingham and a couple of the guys I knew from, from Leeds um, ended up getting jobs in Birmingham. So I ended up moving into a house with those guys and but I was super self-conscious around that time and, and quite, quite anxious, struggled with sort of anxiety and, and depression issues throughout my twenties. Um, and I had a lot of that to get over, you know, if I knew I really wanted to start creating as a loop artist and doing that kind of thing. And I knew I had the ability, but it was just getting over that kind of, you know, just seizing up whenever I would try and play to anyone. You know, just, I'm not that's, just a, that's just a small hump though it's easy to get over you just you know just get over it isn't it isn't that isn't that right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm sure many people think that well i think for some people it, it probably is i don't i don't know i think some people are just born to just love performing in front of other people uh, must, that must be terribly off. frustrating for you though to have this to have this need and have it blocked by 
you know, by, by yourself. It's, it's got to be really confronting. It really was. Yeah. And, um, luckily the, the friends I was living with at that time, uh, one of whom I actually still live with now, we, we live together in London in a flat, uh, my friend Al, and they, they were all super supportive and, um, you really encouraged me to play in front of them more often. And eventually I kind of just sort of got the balls to go and do some open mic nights and stuff. So that would have been when I was around 23 and it all just kind of went on from there. You know, I started meeting people on the Birmingham scene, meeting promoters, getting booked for things, but I was really still very anxious then. And like, you know, I look back at my performances and I sort of saw like a couple of videos recently and I was just like, Jesus, sounds so bad. <laughs> just like, oh my God. Because it's like it, the, the anxiety had very, very severe physical symptoms. Yeah. So my throat would be tight. My whole yeah. body would be tense and shaking. So my guitar technique would be all over the place and I couldn't sing. I'd sound strained and, um, you know, and then I couldn't talk between songs cause I was just so self-conscious and self-conscious. Yeah. And mm. it's like, I was, I knew I wanted to do it, but I was in a sea of pain. Like, honestly, it was, it was horrible. Every gig for a long time was horrible. Wow. And I really had to get, I really had to just keep gigging almost with no direction, just keep doing these gigs to try and get over this, this, yeah, this like debilitating anxiety. And, uh, and with, uh, it took a few years, it took a few years really to kind of get to a point where I felt like I could get on the stage and just be like, do you know what? I'm super comfortable. I'm like, I can talk to you and treat the audience just like I'm just having a chat with a friend, you know, and just do what I do and not really give a shit what anyone thinks or not project what I think someone might be thinking of me at any given time, you know, and just have fun and just really lose myself in it and find that kind of flow state. So um, was it, here's a really blunt question. Why didn't you give up? There was a couple of times where I was close to mm. because of seemingly no kind of financial reward, seemingly like nobody seemed to care that much. And, you know, you kind of want that support from people you've met or friends and you might not get it in the way you need it. And then that can affect you if you're in any way insecure can really affect your, you know, the way you feel about yourself. Yeah. And that certainly happened a lot. And I think that happens for a lot of people on this kind of musical journey, trying to, trying to get exposure and attention um, in this sort of oversaturated market. But, but yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't really know. I think, the times when I did sort of stop playing for a bit, I realized that I was just missing something that I really needed. Yep. Um, and writing, it's, it's not even a choice for me. It just happens. This is something I've talked about quite a bit before. Like I, I don't know about you with your for writing for you, but for me, it's just, I'm constantly, there is constantly a song being created in my head, whether it's like a rhythm part, or a melody or some lyrics or a guitar sound or just a beat that I think might sound quite infectious or something. It's just, and it feels like it's not me doing it half the time. It's just like, that's the brain I've been given. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. I have no choice. It's going to yeah. be doing that all the time. Um, almost to the, you know, to the point where I'll, I'll, I'll miss stuff, you know, I'll, I'll miss what's going on around me because I'm so lost in a, in a creative journey in, in, in my head. Um, so I think it's really just that it's in my DNA and I couldn't turn away from it and I'm really glad I didn't, you know, I'm really glad I carried on. So am I, mate. Um, 
I'm, I know for me that if I don't play all the time, I'm just a bit of an asshole. <laughs> I just get a bit grumpy and a bit cantankerous. Like I, I need to be doing it. And if I'm not doing it, I'm like, I should be doing it. And then when I'm doing yeah. it, I'm thinking, oh, I should do this more. And then when then I finish doing it and then I go, oh, I'm not doing it. I really should be doing it. I should be doing it more. So, yeah, I, I think it, the more people I speak to, the more people sort of say, it's kind of just what I do and I just need to, you know, this is kind of my thing, not, not my thing, but my, like I know for me when I was a teenager, I, I moved to a really horrible town in the outback and it was super violent and super racist and super sexist and very unpleasant. Yeah. And I, I've, I've found for me, and I was a long haired metal kid from the city moving to a country town. <laughs> so I, I didn't really fit in and I just really, I, I found guitar got me through my teen years without having to see a therapist. Great. Because it was like, if I was happy, I would play. If I was sad, I would play. If I was angry, I would play. And it's, Amazing. And if you can, I think a lot, of, a lot of artistic people sort of use it as a way to process, as you say, with you, know, with, you with your social anxiety. It's like, that's a very, I, I never really had social anxiety. I was very outgoing and stupidly self, you know, self-confident. Mm-hmm. I'm unwarranted most of the time. <laughs> Having seen some of my early videos as well, it's it's not good. <laughs> but I think uh, it's sort of the need to get it out there, the need to push forward is greater than the doubt within yourself. Like you're always going to have doubt. You're always going to feel like an imposter. Because you much, know, yeah. if you're if you're a self-conscious, self-sentient sort of thinking human being, you're always going, is this good enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am, am I working hard enough? But that, that need to express it is a, is a greater driver than the fear. And I think, you know, as you said about like my, my mum's the same. She was a singer in the 60s and she gave it all up to have kids. And, you know, it's sort of – it hasn't been a regret of hers because I think she's been happy, but she always sings, like even now. And, and like your mum, she always always has the opera on, always playing piano. It's just – it's it's within you. It's either within you or it's mm. not within you. And I think if you can mm-hmm. if you can find that balance where you can push through the hard times, that's when you sort of get to take that anxiety and and bundle it up into something that you can show other people and share your pain and your happiness and stuff. Really well said, mate. Yeah, and and it is it's a therapy in a sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Not well. Yeah. I mean, playing an instrument or just getting lost in in playing music is is the i mean you know your your mind thinks differently you start you start firing off different pathways and stuff like that and that's scientifically going to be helpful right it's going to you know put you in a good place but then also but like songwriting as you say you know you can package up what what's going on for you and put it into a thing and be like here we go i've made this you know yeah even yeah. if i was struggling look at this that i have to show for it and then some um, wank, and some some wank is going to go play one we know. Yeah, Wonderwall. <laughs> I have actually had when I played in Bristol. <laughs> I did a little. Um, this is going back a few years. I did a little UK tour after I'd put a couple of EPs out in 2016, and I played uh, in Bristol. Uh, <laughs> and I got quite a good. That was the best crowd I got throughout the tour, and um, and really really good audience. I think there's a good there's a good there's a good scene for. Bristol's you know, pretty strong kind of stuff in Bristol yeah um, <laughs> there's a couple of guys at the back 
And one of them said, like, play Wonderwall. That's not, well, he wasn't brummy. I don't know why he's brummy. Every character was probably going to be brummy, right? Um, and uh, and I, I think I actually managed, it's, you know, it was a, probably the biggest heckle I'd ever had, like, because I was mid-flow, you know, thinking about my stuff. And I think I actually managed to embarrass him, like, on the spot. I just said, like, oh, I don't actually, I don't actually know the lyrics, but you can get up here and play it if you want, and kind of took my guitar off and kind of offered it to him. Really? And he, he sort of shied away. See, in, Austra- like, in Australia, even if the guy couldn't play, he'd just get up and push you off the stage and, <laughs> and have a crack. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Wouldn't be successful. No, That's but fantastic. That was, that, was, that was a bit of a win for me, that was. That's awesome. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good gig. And so before the current situation, can you sort of walk us through like the normal sort of week in the life of Ed Geeter? What, what's your sort of normal routine, sort of pre-March? Well, I actually... I actually work a nine to five, so I have a day job. So I'm not a full-time working musician as much as that is the goal one day. Um, I, yeah, I work a nine to five, a media company, and I try to put as much time and energy into being creative and creating music and then gigging as well. Probably been a bit quieter on, well, this year for obvious reasons, very quiet yeah. on the gig front. Yeah. Yeah. But even even before that, I think I focused more on like honing my stuff, my studio side of things, building up a, a good studio at home, and recording my next wave of material. Um, but yeah, really, it's it's just yeah, it's like you know, work hard, um, play hard, socialize. But you know, um, I definitely do work long weeks because i'd work a day job and do this music stuff as well you know i am i'm busy and i have been for a while and sometimes that's draining yeah um but i try my best to kind of practice positive affirmation mindfulness stuff meditation um deep conscious breathing and kind of grounding practices as often as i can uh, in day-to-day life because it really, really helps me just kind of remain in that state where I'm just on it and I'm not, I'm not um, knocked back by ego or mind, you know, like, like how I used to be, you know, I struggled with anxiety and depression a lot. So sometimes those thoughts can come back. So I have to stay very disciplined, I think, to try and make sure they don't rule my life anymore. Absolutely. That's a, that's a big part of my life. And, and, and it's a real big part of um, what I want to do now as well in terms of like, I love writing, I love creating music and I obviously want to spread and, and succeed. I really, really want to succeed um, musically. But then I also, I feel like I have a message to spread and I feel like mental health's becoming quite a a big topic in today's world, especially among young people i think you know growing up with social media must be weird so i think for you and me we kind of we grew up without that and we've embraced it as we got a bit older and i think growing up with it can be very dangerous for the for your mind i think you know sort of seeing a very unreal snapshot of bits of people's reality the way they want to present themselves to the world and sets them sort of unrealistic unrealistic ideals for people and uh, unobtained, un- unobtainable levels of beauty or perfection or speak for yourself, things. <laughs> oh my god 
I'm blushing, darling. Gosh, you really, you really know how to compliment me. Um, the, the, I, know you, I know what you mean. I, I'm the father of um, two daughters, and one's 14. And the the amount of pressure this year has put on basically everyone I know that has a teenager. They are going through severe anxiety because. As it is you, when you're a teenager, I mean, I, I vaguely remember what it was like to be a teenager myself, and it was, you know, it's it's not a good time for anyone, and le- unless you, no. you know, unless you're a bit of a thicky. If you're a bit of a thicky, it's probably fine, and you just, you know, you grow some hair and you have some sex and you punch some people, and you're probably fine. But if <laughs> if especially if you're connected and you're a bit, you know, if you're a bit of a sentient being. You know, this is it's when even when I was a teenager, there was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as any of that stuff when I was young. So, watching my children go through it now, and they're digital natives, and now they are aware, they are fully aware that Instagram is not real, and mm-hmm. yet, and yet the psychological clamps are so strong. Well, that's the thing. It's like being aware is really key, but then at the same time, you know so much of the way our mind works is is like auto almost you know it's it's programmed it's conditioned we approach things with some kind of bias that's been put there because of the world we've grown up in and we don't even realize that we yep. that we are a lot of the time um so i think that's even that's even more of an issue for like younger people but i think the key is is like the you know the digital world is it's not going anywhere social media actually has a ton of really really cool things about it um you know, you can you can spread messages in ways like you couldn't before, and and I think ultimately the way I see it is like it's not going anywhere, so we got to use it for good. It's a tool. It's not necessarily inherently bad, you know. And I think we're very it's very easy to just go, oh, social media is ruining the world, blah blah blah. But I think you're kind of perpetuating that that actual phenomenon if you if you if you just parrot that narrative all the time. Uh, really yeah, yeah. I, I feel like i feel like i want to use it to spread a message like spread messages and, and spread maybe like helpful coping coping mechanisms that might help by being vulnerable so like i love i love being able to talk to you now about like the shit that i've struggled with because i have no shame and i have no um i don't feel like i've got anything to hide it's just like who gives a shit that's what i went through and other people are going through it now so if i can show that you don't have to be ashamed of that then I can maybe help someone and that's a great thing and that's the best feeling for me. That's Absolutely man. Well I've 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 seen a lot of your uh, Instagram stories they're quite uh, it's compelling stuff. Oh thank you bro. I appreciate it's, that. It's good messages too. Cheers. It's it's I really appreciate that. I think throughout lockdown because well we were talking about lockdown right so that's something that was a bit of an experiment for me throughout lockdown because I was furloughed so I had quite a lot of time. So it was kind of nice in a way. I was in the home studio, like playing and stuff. But I also thought, like, you know, this this year was kind of a bit of a challenge for me at the start, and I kind of, kind of turned some corners and thought, I'm going to try and share stuff in a way that, that would be, yeah, a bit open and a bit make me a bit vulnerable. But I'm just going to kind of do it as an experiment and see what happens. And yeah, I think it it kind of, it went down really well. Um, but it's it's one of those things. It's like it 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 works for me when it flows, and I kind of have. Sometimes I can't really plan it. It's just where am I at in life? How do yeah. I feel today? What's happened for me recently? Oh, that makes me think of this. You know, um, whether it's something to do with mindfulness or something to do with um, 
you know, not getting caught up with looking back and regretting and spending all your time in an illusory illusory past rather than actually living in the present, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. I don't know. But well, it's, it's I think yeah, the concept of I think the concept of vulnerability is a very it's such a weighty topic because I know for me having grown up in Australia and I'm in my 40s so you know I grew up in in the 80s and 90s in in outback Australia and you just weren't allowed to be vulnerable like if sure. you were, if you were vulnerable you'd get beaten up like that's sure. just it's just a reality so for as as you get older and I've I've myself have done a lot of um coaching i've been receiving coaching from a couple of really good coaches that helped me actually address personal issues i had with uh fear of failure and vulnerability and wow. it was it was super confronting man like super confronting like i'm a pretty confident dude and mm -hmm. like i kind of just push forward and keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward but then you know, I, I didn't realize all the issues that I had from my childhood because I'd never addressed them. I'd never addressed the fear that I have in showing people certain aspects of my personality. And so I think it's really healthy that, that you're doing that now and you're actually trying to communicate that outward because I know for me, it took me years to actually sort of go, hang on a minute. Am I actually afraid to fail? Like, am I, have I been holding back certain things because I'm scared of failure? I actually am scared of failure. You know, like I've done heaps of cool shit, but like I could have done heaps of cool, like heaps more cool shit if I had have actually just put it all out there, like actually yeah. just been vulnerable. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's common. It's yeah. really common. And to me, I mean, man, you, you know, you've done it. It's like a lot of people never do it their whole lives. They never, they never confront that side of life because it's hard. It's hard. It's really oh, it's so hard. a lot of, you know, to, to confront your demons. It's a lot easier to just ignore your demons and cover them up with loads of addictions. It's way, way easier to do that. And you don't even have to be addicted to alcohol or drugs to be using things in an addictive way, whether it's, whether it's an activity or whether it's work or a person, you know, you can be, as addicted to a person as you can to coke <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, and, i guess yeah and, and be unconsciously using that person to cover up things about you that you don't want to confront um yeah i mean and it's, not even yeah. realize you're doing it it's a long and winding road i think i'll probably get there just before i die maybe <laughs> if i'm lucky yeah you'll be like i'm there i got it i got it yeah. oh no damn that you last, fate that last second of life was so good Man, I really, oh, I, really I really went zen there for like 30 seconds. That's great. <laughs> I got it. Woo! Just on the just on the performance side of things. Um so your your style of performance is very is very intricate. It's very you you've really put a lot of thought into what you're doing. Um when I watch you play, it's very methodical, but also very um like in the moment. So you know your craft very well, but you also really try and deliver like a genuine performance. What's what's the technical aspects that got you to that point? Because I know for me, I, I use looping in a probably a lot more rudimentary level for you because I made the conscious decision to move away from looping. Um, sure. With your looping and the way you use your beatboxing, um, 
can you sort of walk us through a little bit of the technical aspects of that? How do you approach that at a gig? So uh, I use a pedal called the Boss RC300, um, which is great. I love it. I use quite a lot of Boss pedals. I'm part of their family of artists, which is really nice. So I can get like awesome. a nice discount on things. Um, as I, but that pedal is the, it's the... Um, Mothership. It's the main pedal and, and I write around it but it's like it's got it's got three tracks so you can kind of put a different idea on each track and have them playing along together but then you can start and stop them independently of each other so i could have a beat on track one that i've just recorded and then start recording a guitar part but put it on track two and then later in the song i can stop track one and the beat stops but you, you still got your guitar idea going on and then i can build over that with maybe like a lead part and and delay and turn it into like a very you know um dreamy instrumental section and then bring the beat back in with some new idea over it you know it's kind of that it's like i'm trying to create interesting song structure through looping i feel like sometimes looping can be a bit of a um people can fall into the trap of just repeating one idea again and again and again yeah um, and for some, sometimes that works. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like simplicity is great. And like, you you don't, a great song can be one idea all the way through, you know, if it's executed well and it's catchy and it's infectious and there's something thought provoking maybe over it or something, you know, great. But like, it's, um, I think if uh, for me with an entire set based around looping, I want to be able to try and make it satisfying from a listener's point of view. So I think my goal is, it's like to try and, almost make it sound like it's not made with a loop pedal. You know, it's just a song. It's a song. Yeah. If you take it away and just listen to the song, you wouldn't think that's a loop track. That's kind of what I'm going for. Absolutely. And um, so when did you discover you could beatbox or was it a gradual process? Yeah, beatboxing is a funny one. I always forget to talk about it because I always th- focus on the instruments. And, but I suppose it's an instrument as well. But, but your beatboxing is really impressive. I've, I've worked with some, like, I don't know if you know Tom Thumb. Yeah. I've worked yeah, with him. He's, he's, Aussie, a, isn't he? he's a friend of mine in Australia, and I've done some stuff with him. And oh wow, his beatboxing is just ridiculous. Mate, but yours, un- yours is really good too, man. Thank you. Well, Tom Thumb is one of those beatboxers who seems to just be able to make any sound. So if you yeah. said that, I mean, you you know him, but he's done a TED talk which just blew me away. Like yeah. I was just like, I can't. You know, he just he's got sound effects down to the point where you're like, that doesn't even sound like a human. No, you know, that's nuts. Um, but I'm not really. I love his. I love his nose sex. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's, 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 so it's good. wicked, and you even get like that breathy kind of sound. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's the sax. It's nuts. You close your eyes, and it's the sax. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of less of that style of beatboxer, and I just have perfected like complex rhythms and kind of pat beat patterns to kind of accompany what I'm doing. Um, you know, on the guitar and with the loop pedal and singing and stuff. Um, I'd, I'd, I actually get frustrated that I can't do sound effects a lot of the time. Like sometimes I wish I could do, you know, I watch beatboxes. I'm like, oh, fuck you for being so <laughs> fucking good. Jesus Christ. You know, when you like, you like, you love music, but you have to try and like fight that jealousy <laughs> inside you of being like, why do you have to be so good at that? God, I, I could do that. But yeah, um, no, I get but no, that. I, I'm, yeah, I think, I think every musician has, Every musician has to struggle with that a little bit, right? 
but um, I love doing it. And I got introduced to a beatboxer called Razel when I was like 12, 13 by a friend at school. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's the guy that did that. If your mother only knew. And oh, yeah, yeah, beat. yeah. So you kind of put the beat, you put the kick and snare sounds at the start of the word. So it's like, if your brother Bob knew. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a cool technique. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was, yeah, I heard that and I just got me being, you know, the obsessive <laughs> natured musician just got obsessed and uh, wanted to try and do that and being blessed with kind of, you know, a natural, naturally decent rhythm. I could kind of do the beats without really being able to do the sounds at that point, but it was good enough for my school friends to be like, whoa, Ed can beatbox, Ed do the beatbox, wherever, on the playground or whatever. So I was just doing it all the time and I think it just progressed with everything else and yeah, had the idea to combine it with with the guitar and the songwriting. And, and do, you, do, you, do you think your sort of classical training comes in with like your, your understanding of polyrhythmic devices and stuff like that? Do you, do you use any of that stuff or do you use more of an organic approach? I think it de it's definitely helps. All the music analysis I've done over the years in A-level and, and at uni has, has really, really helped when it comes to, yeah, how I, how I create stuff because I'm, I'm always looking to add little interesting parts and complement things with counterpoint and, you know, devices like that, which I, I know of from my training. So yeah, hundred percent is there, but I think I kind of, it's, it's all quite, so I, I leave a lot up to my subconscious, mm. you know, I, I kind of create what I feel and I'm not necessarily thinking too much when I come up with something, if that makes sense, that sounds a bit ridiculous because someone would be like, well, what, how can you, how can you create without thinking? And of course I am thinking, but I think I'm just like, I'm not, the process isn't too much like, right, I'm going to use this idea that I got from classical music and make a song around that. You know, it's never, it's never like that. It's just, it just, it just happens for me when I'm like, when I'm thinking or jamming and it's a, it's a, it's a somewhat, um, I wish there was a word. I, I, I wish I, I knew think, a word to explain. I think it's, what I mean, I think it's flow state. Yeah, I think so. I think flow state flow state is when you're using all of your skills but a lot of them are unconscious so you're delivering a a performance but you're in a place where you're not analyzing and pushing forward things in a cynical way you're actually doing it organically yeah and that's that's flow state I'm I'm always every time I pick up the guitar I'm trying to find that and it's well, dude, your your guitar playing is unbelievable. Like you, you are actually one of those musicians. Sometimes I watch, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that. You <laughs> when you when you play like electric guitar, and your lead works just so your 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 left hand is just so quick, and that's something I've always struggled with. My left hand's not quick. You know, I'm, I've got good rhythm, and I can my technique's good enough to do the things I want to do. But you know, that kind of that kind of fast. Um, licks playing. Um, you could you could definitely do it, man. Anyone can do it. It's just repetition. It's having the right practice regime, the right goal set, and just practicing it. It's just muscle memory. I know yeah. that when I first picked up the guitar, I wasn't interested in doing anything else except for playing as fast as I possibly could. That was <laughs> all I wanted to do for about five years was just play faster than anybody else. That was the, my whole goal set, and it was right. incredibly shallow. But it's sort of it's left me now with a muscle memory that I can I can switch it on when I have to. Oh, it served you well. Well, 
uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it, it used to impress chicks when chicks cared about guitar. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. now girls don't care about guitar. Girls care no. about beatboxes, man. Yeah, they don't, they don't. <laughs> can you freestyle rap though? They, no. they'd like that. Girls would like that. You know? No, no, I'm I'm far too white for that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's um let's talk a little bit about how um you've dealt with the 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 COVID experience. So, sort of post March, we sort of went into lockdown, and we sort of we've just coming out the end of our second lockdown now in the UK. Um, you've spoken a little bit about how the lockdown sort of made you confront a few things and sort of change your message with anxiety and vulnerability. Can you, mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more how you sort of, you dealt with that, that process from sort of March onwards? Yeah, it was, um, I was, I had, well, I was on my own in the flat because my, my, my flatmate Al, he actually went to Hungary just before lockdown happened. And ended oh. up staying there. He was with Did his he get girlfriend. Stuck? Well, he kind of stayed there through choice because his work told him that he could work from there remotely. And he was just like, okay, I'm just going to stay here for a bit. He ended oh, up being, cool. he's only just got back. <laughs> he's been right. there the whole time um, from March onwards. Um, so I was living alone in the flat in lockdown. Um, and that was, I guess it was, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, but my way of dealing with it was I was more active on social media throughout that, throughout that time than I've ever been in my life. I think, you know, I was, I was putting more time into, into guitar, into piano and sharing that stuff. And yeah, in a way that really, really helped me like get through it, having that outlet and also having the time. I think one of the things it was a, it was a difficult time obviously because it's, well, it's just been so bleak, hasn't it? And, you know, it's, it's really, really, it, it's not nice knowing that, you know, so many people have died from this. And I think it's, it can put people in a place of fear and has done quite, quite successfully. And that's pretty, that's pretty horrible. Um, so I guess in a way you, I can see why, yeah, lockdown for a lot of people would have been so difficult. You know, you've got so much time to think you're on your own, you can't go out and the world's a pretty, pretty nasty place right now. It's very, very easy to go downhill. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of times where I think that almost happened for me, but it was a really good opportunity to practice mindfulness and try and observe what was happening for me rather than get caught up in it and have that, whatever your mind's doing, become your identity to the point where, you know, you start to really struggle. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fucking powerful thing that really is like disidentifying from the mind's content is one of the most amazing realizations that I had in my life. And I really started learning that towards the end of my twenties. And now I feel like it's, it's something I live pretty much every day. Sometimes I'll fall back into it, but um, most of the time I can kind of check myself and be like, all right, it doesn't matter what's happening in your mind. You know, that's not you. It's, it's not real. It doesn't, it doesn't need to, you have a choice. You can, you can respond in the way you want to. And that's the yeah. most powerful thing. I think, yeah, it's like I, I, that, that realization and practicing that and sharing that got me through lockdown. No doubt. hundred percent got me through that time on my own. Well, I know that's the great. idea, that idea of mindfulness when you, when, 
because I did a lot of that stuff as well. And the idea of looking at the thoughts coming past like clouds and observing them and sort of looking at them as, as a cloud coming past and you can look at it and you can analyze it, but it's, you know, that it's, it will pass like a cloud. And that yep. sort of, that was helpful to me as well because yeah, it's, it, it was pretty bleak there for a while. Mm. It was very bleak for a while. And I, you know, I've got a couple of kids and a, and a wife and it was all very, Oh shit. What are we going to do for money? And it was quite stressful for a while. I can't imagine. I mean, it's a whole different, it's a whole different set of problems, isn't it? To whatever I was dealing with. And it's, well, I mean, it's, it's yeah, different, wow. but it's, it's no, you know, I, I actually was more, I remember talking a couple of times thinking that I, I would find it so hard being on my own at that point. It was much, it was much easier because I had like people around me. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be on your own. It's got to be so confronting. I, it is. And a lot of people don't like confronting themselves, right? As we were talking about earlier, I think it can be very, it can be very difficult, but it's in a way it's like, it's been so character building for me and strengthening for me to have that time to really not have any choice but to be alone and just confront whatever was going on for me and and get through it on my own, you know, without needing necessarily the assistance of someone else or needing someone else's uh, input. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was it was so it's something I think I would recommend to anyone not to shut yourself away, but to at least recognize the importance of being alone in your thoughts and finding some kind of comfort or peace on your own. Mm. Um, and meditation's great for that. Um, yeah, what you said, that analogy of like watching the thoughts go by like clouds and, you know, it's that whole like not identifying with them and, yeah, when you're meditate, when you're meditating, if a thought comes in, don't judge it. Don't, don't go like, oh fuck's sake, I'm thinking again. Just be like, okay, I'm thinking again. Yeah, I'll just, let, I'll just let it go. Yeah, meditating uh, super hard for me because I've got a very short attention span. Just like, <laughs> so it's just like a constant rabble. So meditating, hey, me, I, me too. I found so, meditating super hard. I still, find, I still find it very challenging, and I'm, I suck at it. But I, you know, I still give it a crack. Yeah, and that's that's great. I got to keep trying. You got to keep trying, and it, but but even if even if you think you're bad at it, just the very notion of trying to do it every now and then, it's like you're stilling the mind. You're doing something that the majority of people don't do. They don't stop their mind. They don't connect with feeling rather than thinking. You know, so you ground yourself in your body, and you really just start to try and feel your breath and notice every little physical detail of what it feels like to be in the moment yeah and and not be in your head where yeah. you you know when you're so in your head you you miss all of that shit you forget yeah, about absolutely. it and it stops meaning anything to you um and then that's how you get depressed because you're not happy and you know the joy of being doesn't register for you you're not i if i think back to when i was depressed you know i didn't think anything of the physical the pleasure of like touching something or sitting in my chair or breathing or like seeing something, the light reflecting of something and just, you know, really enjoying all of that stuff. That or didn't having, register for me at all. Or having like a nice bacon buddy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually vegan, so I don't, I don't, oh. I don't eat. <laughs> but I did, I used to enjoy a bacon buddy. Yeah, I used to love a bacon buddy. We, 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 uh, 
we uh, we're sort of semi-vegetarian in the house, so yeah. I uh, I use that uh, occasionally as a little as a little indulgence. But uh, yeah. we actually toyed with veganism through the lockdown, and it was it was good. I'm um I just I just I'm just too Australian, mate. <laughs> Fair I just, enough. I don't. Look, we don't I'm, really. I'm one of those vegans who doesn't judge people. Like I'm just like you know. I'm not a militant vegan who goes like you're gonna stop eating the animals and go. I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm just doing what I think's right for me, you know, Absolutely. based on what I've yeah. learned. Um, and and yeah, it's not easy. It's not an easy transition to make. It's easier than ever now, but it's absolutely. Still, there's a lot more choice now. Yeah, loads more, and there's some great stuff now. If you if you want to have a meat style thing in your dish because you grew up eating meat and you still kind of want that vibe to a to a dish. I don't know. Uh, you can you can do it. Um, you know, there's great like vegan burgers now and stuff. Did you see that they've actually perfected? They've actually started growing lab-grown meat. I have seen this. Yeah. So what, sure what's your take been. on that as a vegan? Well, it turns out they do actually need um, some meat, something from the. They need to slaughter a pregnant cow, right, to to make it happen. I I think so. It's not necessarily. I mean, it probably is animal cruelty on a far less scale, but it's not necessarily. Eliminating that. Um, I mean, it's kind of amazing in a sort of sickening way. I don't know what it is about the thought of lab-grown meat that just creeps me out of it. It's just a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But I guess if you think about, okay, so most people, I'm realistic, right? Most people aren't going to do what I what I do. They're not going to go vegan. They're not going to cut out things that they've they, you know, associate with their tradition or or whatever it is, you know, things that they love. Um, but ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm vegan for the animal welfare reasons, the environmental reasons and health reasons as well. Uh, and I think it's, it's kind of everything, but like, if you look at, if you look at the lab grown meat, I guess that could potentially be a really, really good way of, of really minimizing the environmental impact of animal agriculture, because it is that side of animal agriculture that's mental. If you think about how many animals are bred for human consumption all those animals need to drink water throughout their lives all those animals need to eat and they grow you know people don't realize how much food is grown to feed the food you know and by the time the food is food for you it's had so much food (laughs) that could have been food for the rest of the human race you know what i mean it's it's mad absolutely and 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 the methane emissions from animals as well and it's you know lab-grown meat would actually solve a lot of those problems if it became a, a big a big deal so if you, actually, if you actually look at the principal reasons for clearing forests in the world it's yeah it's two reasons it's palm oil yeah and meat mm. so most of the reason that the amazon gets cleared is because of either palm oil or meat so people are, are, are planting palm oil because palm oil is in everything yeah. Um, if you look at the if you look at the dense equatorial jungles of say a place like Malaya, um, most of that jungle is just gone because it's all palm oil and beef cattle. So all that rich, like that absolutely beautiful, pristine equatorial rainforest is just all gone. It's all gone. Like my my father yeah. fought in Malaysia with yeah. with the Brits in the sixties, and he went back there five years ago, 10 years ago. And he said, it's just, it's like another planet. It's all, it's, it's just all gone. And it, to me, like I, I've, 
like my family and I have been vegetarian and vegan and we occasionally eat like a little bit of red meat and stuff, you know, because as I said, I'm still Australian and I'm, a, I'm <laughs> fundamentally quite primitive. But uh, <laughs> like when I look at that, I think if everybody just like did one vegan meal, like three vegetarian meals and had like some chicken or something, which is really easy to do, like we've done it in our family and it's, it's cost effective it, you feel healthier, yeah. like, and it's just better for the planet. If the whole world could just do just that, mm. like, it's there's no downside. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm so in just full agreement with you. But the West don't want to do that, right? Got to have a burger. Yeah, processed <laughs> meat, just nonstop, just guzzle it down. Um, <sighs> and. But hey, man, that's, I used to live like that. So it's, uh, yeah. this is why I don't, it's like, it's, it's way easier, right? It's way, yeah. way easier to just eat whatever the fuck you want, not think about all those bigger problems because yeah. you're just like, why should I have to think about that? But I think ultimately it's kind of our responsibility because we are nature. We're not separate from it. Like we, it, we are made of the same shit and this is our system and we're like, we're tied to it. You know, yeah. your state is bound to your environment. Like you respond based upon where you are. Like it's you, we're all one. We're all part of the same thing. So we have to look after it. You know, it's an extension of us. I think if we all looked at the world as an extension of our identity, an extension of us and who we are, then we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't treat it the way we do. And we, we, we would be more mindful about that kind of stuff. But. There's an author. I can't remember his name. Um, he wrote a couple of books, Homer Deus. Um, and his argument is that w it's, it's twofold and it goes to your point is one side is we are of nature. So everything we are doing is actually of nature. Mm. So our actually destroying the planet, the way we are is actually of nature because we are of nature. But yeah. the difference is that we have removed ourselves from the systems. Mm -hmm. We haven't really because if global warming keeps going the way it's going and all the plant, all the crops fail and we end up, you know, not being able to eat any food, a lot of us are going to die. Like mm -hmm. that's, but we've, we've, we seem to have culturally removed ourselves from the system that is all around us. So, you know, li living in London, it's very easy to not see nature you can you know you can see trees and you can see parks but you don't really see the nuts and bolts of the mechanics of it mm -hmm. and i think it's so easy for us to just go oh well someone will look after that rather than just sort of make a really easy decision where well, I'm, just, I'm just not going to have a steak tonight i'm just going to have like i don't know some chickpeas or something or have like a risotto <laughs> yeah i mean there's a whole world <laughs> of options right there is anyway. Anyway, chickpeas I, are great, man. And lentils. That's right. I love those. Got it. My, lentils, superfood. I grew up eating lentils. My parents were dirty, rotten hippies in the sixties, so I have extensive <laughs> experience with lentils. Um, <laughs> so look, we've 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 gone very deep, very quickly. Can we're we? Really can we maybe finish with a bit of a a bit of a lighthearted speed round? Sure, sure, of course we can. Okay, so just this is just main, just all about music and sort of what you're listening to now and all that sort of stuff. So, um, okay. who who's your favourite artist right now? Bonobo. I don't know that. He is uh, uh, 
he's from London. I think he's based in New York now. He's kind of he's a producer, multi instrumentalist, who creates very interesting electronic music, but with kind of organic samples of of uh, of you know. Rhodes pianos or like clarinets or you know he's, he's kind of jazz inspired but he's just great like he, he he weaves so many different ideas in and he produces in a way that's kind of quite mesmerizing and he kind of does it himself so in that sense he's quite inspiring for me because I think I even though my music's different to what he does I try and follow a similar model I guess or, or workflow to what he does. Bonobo awesome. Bonobo I thoroughly recommend you check him out he's great. Oh, well he's also is he a very sexually promiscuous? <laughs> like, like the numbers. <laughs> uh, pass. Don't know. for another time. Um, yeah. What's your favourite song right now? I know what it is. It's called "You and I" by Caribou. Oh, you I know, know Caribou. Caribou. Yeah, it's a great track. It kind of it sort of starts as like a. It sounds like a really heartwarming, uplifting pop track with a real driving straight beat, and it almost sounds like something out of the eighties. The way he's produced it. Um, and then it all of a sudden like flips and goes half time, and it sounds very modern and kind of almost trappy with like crazy samples over it. But it's just so creative. I really like him as a, as an artist. I think he's great. Cool. Um, and I, I love that he's just a late. I think he's late forties. He's balding. Looks like a sort of typical kind of just average dude. But he's making like wacky out there music, and he's super successful. It's just that's I just awesome. Think, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I love him. He's great. I thoroughly, what, thoroughly recommend that song. You and what I. Was, what was what was the last song you listened to? The last song I listened to <laughs> was me. <laughs> so I just did. I just did. A, yeah, I just did a song. Well, today I listened to two songs um, on my commute. <laughs> One of them was a song that I just wrote with three other artists that was part of this online songwriting camp. Um, which my publisher put on. It was a great experience. It was over over Zoom, um, and it was with uh, a girl called Subi from India. She's based in the States. Um, a girl called Lauren from Israel, and a guy called Ricardo from Mexico. And we just we wrote an uplifting track together um, over Zoom. Came out really nice. Yeah, we did three sessions and split up the roles of what we were doing, and and it, and it worked out really nice. And I've just been listening to that because I kind of started producing it, so I need to do a bit more work on that. And when I'm in that state, I just listen to a track over and over and over again. Yeah, get inside so I can work out what needs to change and where the mix needs to sit and blah, blah, blah. And the other song I listened to today was Geats Beats 2 because I just, I don't know if you've seen my Geats Beats series. I have. Shameless, shameless self-promo. I'm really, Absolutely. really obviously just very obsessed with myself. Was this, 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 <laughs> I think this is, uh, this is starting, Christ, I'm a bit embarrassed. Anyway, yeah, Geats Beats 2. I started a series called Geats Beats where I just do... Um, uh, songs and beats with my home setup just to kind of show people how I build them really so I do one beat on the Tuesday and then the next Tuesday I do a video where I talk over it and do a commentary and tell people what I'm actually doing I did actually watch, watch the first one nice one that's good very comprehensive Cheers. thanks man I appreciate that well yeah what was- Beast 2 just landed so go check it out I'll be watching <laughs> I'll be watching that later what was the last album you listened to from start to finish the Campfire Head Phase by Boards of Canada. Excellent. I, don't know, know, I don't know that at all. Um, they are ambient electronica, but in that album, they it was the first album where they started bringing guitars into the mix. 
and it's such a beautiful album. It's just like sun-kissed, glorious, really interesting melody, um, and it flows so nicely. It's kind of got little interludes between tracks of just say thirty seconds of them playing with some samples or creating some nice ambience, and it and so it just flows really nicely from. Lovely. It's it's a great album. I love it, and it's a it's a beautiful story. So I listen to it from start to finish, probably more than any other album. I think. What was it called again? The Campfire Head Phase. Campfire Head Phase, cool. I, no, I like the sound of that. Yeah. I like the sound of that. What song do you wish you'd written? Hmm. Probably something by Radiohead. Hmm. Good choice. Um. What do I love by Radiohead? Present Tense off their newest album. Do you know a moon, a moon Shape Pool? Yeah, yeah. Do you know that track, Present yep, Tense? Yeah. I just think that is just the most beautiful song. Mm, that that's it's really. I find that one that the newest album the hardest one to listen to. Do you? Yeah. Interesting. I just. I think there's so much subtlety going on. Yeah. That there's so much happening, but on such yeah. a. You know, like, if you look at, like, Kid A and, like, when they first went quite experimental. Yeah. Like, it was quite, I mean, it was quite experimental. It was quite forward. Yeah. Now, because they're sort of settling into middle age, their experimentation is a lot more subtle. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, I think that's with, with them, I find I always want to be really, I don't know, pushed in a more obvious way, whereas with, I think with their latest one, they're really pushing but in a really subversive way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I find that one the hardest one to listen to. Ironically, it's it, yeah. Well, I, I I hear you because I think the first time I listened to it from start to finish, it was quite. It's not the easiest one to listen to. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, there's tons of like uh, piano samples, pan left and right, doing all this fancy stuff, and I think on the first listen, it's a bit like, wow, where, where do I start? You know, how yeah. do I pick it apart? Yeah, and then, but as I've listened to it more, I think it is actually probably my favorite. I think it might be my favorite one. Really? Although it's so tough, it's so tough with Radiohead. Um, yeah, probably that or In Rainbows. Yeah, I actually I always come back to Hail to the Thief. I just I really like. Yeah, the Hail to the Thief's great, great as well. It's probably just a bit too long. I think that's my only gripe yeah, with it. Maybe it had yeah. a few songs they probably should have just taken out, but I couldn't tell you what those songs are. But yeah, it's a great, it's a great album. Yeah, I, I just, it's one I, I mean, obviously, and like, I, I do keep coming back to Kid A. Like, I really do like Kid A. I think that's, it's just such a weird album. It's great. I love it. But then, but then Amnesiac as well. I really like Amnesiac. Well, I mean, they're all fantastic. Knives, they are, aren't they? <laughs> Knives Out. Knives Out is yep. an absolute tune yep. in a kind of depressing way. <laughs> the one <laughs> Which that, I think Radiohead do very well, right? But. I remember I, I went to see them. Um, must have been God near on ten years ago now. And they, I've always loved the song um, "Halitosis." Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other one? Uh, not the halitosis. Uh, mixomatosis. Sorry, mixomatosis. That song, mixomatosis. Yeah, it's and, quite a cool driving sort of baseline to that, right? And they fucked it up. <gasps> like they Did messed they? it up. It was the best thing ever. Like it was the oh. best thing ever. It it was such a such a great concert, and they f- they messed it up. And it was like I was waiting for Mixomatosis, and th- they did the whole thing, and they they came around on the beat again, and it was wrong. 
Oh my God. And I think, you know, I don't think many people notice, but I just, you know, I'm just so obsessed with that song and it was just, it was the best. I loved it so much because they fucked it up. Yeah. It's just like, you, yes. got to see, you got to see Radiohead fuck up. That's so good. <laughs> they made a mistake. They're just humans. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, and what's your, um, it might be, this might be a tricky question, but what's sort of like your, your guilty pleasure artist that you sort of come back to if you want to feel a bit like, I don't know, a bit silly or nostalgic? <laughs> Do you know, this is really funny and this is seriously a guilty pleasure. I don't know why I have a strange love for a song. I think it's because I heard it when I was a kid and, for some reason it just really got me it's just really really just like just it's just pop alt rock it's evanescence do you remember evanescence yep wake me up not that one though that oh. one called going under i don't know i'm that one. going under oh yep 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 i gotcha yep and it's yep. just a very infectious pop rock chorus and it's very very cleanly produced and with some nice ideas and for some reason i just have like a real Guilty, yeah, pleasure vibe with that's it. That's awesome. And then I just put it on. That's it's great. so unlike anything else I listen to, but <laughs> I just dig it. I don't know why. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, shoot and, me. And so what other skill do you wish you, you, you could have? So if, if you sort of could wave a magic wand and just have a skill, what's, what's another skill that you wish you could have? Mm. doesn't have to be artistic. Probably is artistic though. I wish I could like paint or like not necessarily paint, but just create visual art to go with my auditory art. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I could always kind of draw okay as a kid, but yeah, I just, it's one of the things I found really hard is like, you know, you, you, you create your music and you have such an idea of how you want it to sound, but then what visually goes with that in terms of, you know, the, your album artwork or like a visualizer or something like that. Like I kind of wish I just, I wish I had a, a more natural inclination and ability when it comes to, to that side yeah. of it. Yeah. I, do, yeah I, can't. I, I, I can't draw at all. I can't, I can't draw and I can't dance. <laughs> I can play guitar real fast. <laughs> nice. that's all you need mate that's mate that's it yeah. um, just whenever, whenever you're at a wedding just bring the guitar yeah run around the dance floor middly 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 me so um we'll probably we'll probably finish up there man can you tell people where we can uh, where, where the lovely humans out there can check more ed Gita? sure um so all my socials uh it just you know Website name here, forward slash Ed Geeter, spelled G-E-A-T-E-R, my surname. Ed with one D. Not two Ds. Never understood the whole two Ds in the ad. Do you, do you understand that? Why? why? Ed Ed Don't. But anyway, if you are an Ed with two Ds, I'm sorry. I, I'm, you know, if I've offended you there with that <laughs> assessment of your name. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So forward slash Ed Geeter or at Ed Geeter. Um, that's all the socials. And yeah, just just you know, go listen to me on Spotify or, or something. Just search Ed Geeter and or edgeeter.co.uk if you want to have a look at the website that will just direct you to all the social media places. Really. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, it's been it's been a real pleasure to have you on the on the pod. It's been great, man. Thanks for listening to me go off on a bunch of tangents and uh, talk a load of shit. Uh, and I've really enjoyed listening to you talk a load of shit too. Thanks for having me. Mate, talking shit is my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see each other on a stage very soon.
Yeah, we should definitely do that when we can. Yeah, we, we, I would love to do that. We should, we should hang out. Absolutely, Brad. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care, Ben. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. Thank you.